Hier war die Abstimmung nicht vorhanden. At the European Parliament in Brussels, there are 23 official languages. When the European Union was first established, the dominant languages were French and German, but that has now changed. All languages are equal, but to coin a phrase, some are probably more equal than others. Our official line is very definitely that all languages are, are equal, but there's no point denying the fact that, that English is becoming more used and therefore more valued, I would, I would say, but officially not at all. I would like to reiterate in this regard that the European Parliament supports... That English has become dominant. Pretty much everybody who wants to have some kind of a role and function and above all influence um, will know English. The demise of French is particularly marked. It used to be the language of all documents presented to the Parliament. The amount of material originating in French has really dropped to below 10%. It's now very low. Uh, really the reality is that you can't live without English. You can now live without French. La question fundamentale, à mon avis, qui se pose, c'est est-ce qu'on peut gouverner 500 millions de personnes qui parlent 22 langues avec une seule langue Ma réponse est définitivement non. C'est impossible. A key catalyst for the rise of English as a lingua franca in the European Union has been the accession of new states from Northern and Eastern Europe. My own experience, I remember going to Prague in 1991 and saying to waiters, is it to be German, is it to be English, and they all say German. By 95, 96 it was English. So somewhere or another a, a switch occurred. Obviously there are some few exceptions. Um, and I don't really know exactly how, but English won out. Clearly, again, the prestige of the United States has enormous significance here. And in a sense, this is the sort of normality. Well, you know, if you're normal, you speak English. In practice, there certainly has been a very big change. It began, I think, in 1995 when Sweden and Finland joined the European Union because they really brought with them a tradition of learning English and speaking English. And that was something which was confirmed then in 2004 with a very big enlargement to Eastern Europe. The staff that came with those countries tended to be English speaking as a second language rather than French speaking, and that really just tipped the balance. The role of English is mainly that of a lingua franca, uh, which means that it is a, a means of communication uh, for people who for whom this is the best language of communication. doesn't mean that everybody is at the same level of English. Um, it doesn't even mean that everybody is happy to choose English. But if, they, if, if it is the only means of communication that everybody shares, uh, then that's what you call English as a lingua franca. Whilst many have accepted the growing use of English on pragmatic grounds as a tool for communication, others do not see this as politically neutral. Je ne vois pas comment on pourrait arrêter à court terme euh, cette domination, euh, je dirais même cette hégémonie euh, de la langue anglaise. Euh, à 27 pays, il faut une lingua franca. Cette lingua franca, euh, pour l'instant, est l'anglais. Qu'on qu s'en réjouisse ou qu'on le regrette.
c'est que l'Union européenne, c'est une fédération dans un certain nombre de domaines. Or, on ne peut pas diriger cette fédération dans une autre langue que les différentes langues parlées par les citoyens. Sinon, ça porte un nom, c'est du colonialisme, c'est un empire, et l'Union européenne, évidemment, ne peut pas fonctionner de cette façon-là. Donc, je, je, je considère que l'anglais n'est pas une menace pour le français, mais c'est une menace pour la légitimité de l'Union européenne. La question est que nous ne voulons pas avoir une langue which will somehow uh, uh, dominate and, and will become the only language because that would be against all principles and all ideas. You have to realize that the parliament is, is a place where citizens elect their representatives. And therefore, we, we endeavor here to make it absolutely compulsory that, uh, that every one of the languages has the same respect and, and dignity. The European Union spends large sums of money on ensuring that interpreters are always available for all 23 official languages and suggestions that work takes place in the three dominant languages of French, German and English have been resisted. Very few people speak any foreign language as precisely as, as they speak their mother tongue. And uh, so that, that's why when people say, well, we could, we could uh, develop here, we could work only in, in, in two or three languages, that would be cheaper indeed. The, the, because, because we spend quite, quite uh, some money in, in interpretation and in translation. Well, I, I, my idea is always, I would say, I would say well, that's all. I would, be, I would agree that we, we work only in three languages provided that nobody can speak his own language. That's all. And, and, then, and, then, and then my British colleagues say, no, 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 then let us, let us keep on to the 23. Yeah? There's no question if one is speaking one's mother tongue, one can really have an advantage over those who are speaking a second language. In that sense, I think having all the 23 languages, regardless of what it costs, there are also issues of prestige and the sense of equality. Okay, uh, not very many people are going to speak Maltese or Estonian, but having them, I think, is a part of being European. Uh, the multiplicity of languages is really, in a sense, at the heart of what being European is. MEPs are free to choose which language they speak in. For some, this is easy. For others, it's more complicated. It is not acceptable that I speak French or I speak German, or I speak English, which I can do whenever, whenever I'm chairing the, the parliament. I, I, I can only speak Spanish, and they should only speak Spanish. A among other things, out of respect for my own people and for my colleagues and for the, for the thousands of people who are in the guests' uh, tribunes, each one speaks his own language. If I'm speaking on a purely Hungarian topic, which does arise, I will speak Hungarian. If I'm speaking on a more general topic, and let's say I did make a short speech on uh, Israel-Palestine not all that long ago, uh, I spoke English. Uh, so that's generally the way I pitch it. There are some MEPs who will use English all the time, simply because they think that more, more people will listen. I certainly have seen a situation where somebody speaking what I'm going to call is not a sort of primary language, they won't even put the headphones on. 
they will not listen to the simultaneous translation. So basically people are lazy. MEPs are also lazy and they will listen in English, maybe they'll listen in French, possibly German, and then if somebody starts speaking Latvian, forget it. Um, and I discovered this very early on that I spoke Hungarian in one of the committees and absolutely zero impact. I might as well not have spoken at all. So that has guided me ever since. So in committees I will on the whole speak English, it just depends. I've heard members in the past talk about bad experiences with interpreting. I think that is perhaps the case in a minority of, uh, of situations. Um, I think a much stronger urge is just the sense that I think there's a very human urge to want to directly talk to another person in a language which they understand without using an intermediary. Because even if you're a very trusting person, I suppose at the back of your mind, there's always a sense that if I'm using an intermediary, I'm not in complete control of what it is I'm saying. And I think that's, that's, a human, that's human nature. A language can be chosen for a number of reasons. A speaker may be wanting to show that he can be a bit of a virtuoso in several languages, or maybe out of a sense of politeness be addressing somebody who's just asked him a question and answering them in the same language. Um, they can be wanting to show that they identify with a particular group. Um, a Belgian may want to show that he can speak both or even all three of the country's national languages. And so there can be a number of pragmatic or political considerations. I remember a Finnish colleague two or three years ago being absolutely furious and said, the Finnish simultaneous decision is so bad that I'm going to speak English from now on. So it may be that you know, English is simply used because they don't trust the simultaneous translators. My experience with the simultaneous translators has actually been okay. But when MEPs do not use their mother tongue, misunderstandings can occur. What happens is people don't necessarily say what they mean, they say what they're able to say. And that can be two very different things. And for interpreters, that, that has all kinds of repercussions. If someone is speaking English, let's say, imperfectly, first of all, the interpreters have to try to work out what that person actually is trying to say before they can then go on to the process of converting it into Spanish, into Portuguese, into Greek, into whatever. So it adds an extra step, it adds an extra difficulty. Interpreters always prefer it when people speak their, their native language. It's much easier uh, for, for us and for our work because then people are speaking naturally, they're saying what they want to say, they're much more expressive. And if someone's English is limited, then they can only say those things. And sometimes they don't actually say what they mean to say. Just a little example, I was at a meeting where a woman said, I'm glad you took your time to get here. She meant, I'm glad you took the time to get here. It's a very small thing, but it actually makes a difference. And it means the interpreters have to do a lot more work on understanding the context and on trying to decipher what it is that person means to say rather than what it is they're actually saying. Some academics believe it's time to take a completely different approach to the dominance of English in Europe. I think what we really need is some innovative thinking about the linguistic landscape in Europe, if you like, because um, uh, this is an unprecedented situation that we have this growth and spread of one language. And I think instead of adhering to um, this notion of one 
nation, one state, one language, which is so deeply ingrained in Europe because of our 19th century uh, nationalism. Um, we've, we've, so much, we've invested so much into creating nations that are somehow defined by their uh, languages and languages are so intricately bound up with culture and the way forward for me would be to conceptualize English differently so that you take it out of this hierarchy of languages that we have but if you take English out of this hierarchy and say okay English we take for granted anyway it's something like a driving license you know it's something that everybody has uh, it's nothing special but without it you don't get very far if you like uh, then um, if you take English out of this hierarchy, then it will be interesting to uh, decide which other languages you might want to learn, but you would learn them for very different reasons. Because you, you love Italian music or because you like French food and have French friends and things like that. This is not a view shared by the critics of the rise of English in Europe. Une autre question, et c'est celle-là qui préoccupe euh, à mon avis les Français, est de savoir quelle influence a le langage sur l'expression des idées Or, on ne peut manquer de remarquer que depuis 10, 15 ans, 20 ans, au moment où l'anglais s'est imposé comme langue commune, l'Europe est devenue de plus en plus libérale. Donc des valeurs qui ne sont pas les valeurs continentales. Parce que un langage, une langue n'est pas neutre. Une langue véhicule des valeurs. Et c'est cela qui est préoccupant. There's another aspect to the rise of English in Europe which has attracted attention. Is a new variety of English emerging? Something which can be called Euro-English? There are a range of views on this subject. I think in different contexts means different things to different people. So on the one hand, it's sometimes used to designate the English that's used within European institutions, uh, a kind of, um, you know, difficult to understand register uh, that is used in the corridors of Brussels where people use certain uh, terms that uh, are very difficult to understand for the average European citizen, such as subsidiarity and all these. And I think there are actually glossaries um, of uh, terms that the European Union uses in in a way that you know the most English native speakers would not normally understand. So that's one very special um, use of the term. It's also used more generally in a sense um, that people say, okay, Europe is a, a most of Europe is now a union, and surely a union has a shared language, and therefore there will be shared features. Um, and on this is is. is it's, it's easy to understand why people would have this expectation, but you must bear in mind that um, uh, there are very many um, different uh, European languages and depending on the combination of speakers that use English as a lingua franca, this English will vary quite a bit. The question of whether one standard version of Euro-English is, is arising or evolving, I think is quite a complicated one and I, th I don't know what the answer is. Uh, I'm tempted to think that there are certain words which are being adopted through being heard by other members. An example is foreseen. Um, a member might say, or anyone working in the European environment might say, 
Well, we're going to have to work through, all, through this meeting all morning, but unfortunately coffee is not foreseen, meaning coffee is not provided. Um, and because in a number of languages like French or Dutch, prévu, foreseen, that word is used, it's become part of this Euro-English, which is then adopted by more and more people. And it just then, you almost find yourself saying it yourself. In fact, I have heard native, native English speakers in this context saying that. So, um, so gradually, inevitably, that process is, is occurring. There is a truth in it to some extent. The English that people speak here, if they're not native English speakers, is different from the English that we would use as native speakers. But for me, it's not coalescing into a Euro-English. The Germans speak English in a German way, the French speak it in a French way. But what you will see, you'll see English used in what we would deem an incorrect fashion. But it's accepted by everybody because everybody understands it. Sometimes I think that certain tendencies are emerging, you know, certain lexis, but then that could just be the kind of lexis that you have in any job, any profession, where a lot of people are together and they're initiated into it and they use their own vocabulary, their own jargon, if you like. So I suppose you have to be careful to draw a distinction between normal jargon in any place of work and a, a new language. In a sense, I think Euro-English has arrived. I think its contours are difficult to define. Probably its grammar doesn't really correspond to English. I suspect that you know, the subtleties of things like to take on, to take off, to take to, the infinite variations which you can get from just a tiny switch in English, that escapes most of them. Um, so in many ways it's a, it's a simple, some is even a very crude language, but effective. And it's a very effective in the second language communication, which I think in a sense is what we're talking about. It won't go away, I mean I think it's here to stay. Uh, and I would be fascinated to see what it looks like, let's say 30 years from now. And it may be that native English speakers will have to learn it. English speakers, you know, they only need to use a couple of expressions and they've completely lost their Euro-English audience. You know, if I turn around and say, well, you know, um, I can't really use the, the booth today because it's on the blink, then, you know, any native English speaker would know immediately what I meant. But most people speaking Euro-English would already be lost. I would already have alienated them. And, and, uh, and for me, that's just one example of, of this new thing which is emerging, uh, uh, maybe a slightly blander, simpler form of English being used to convey information in a much less layered, idiomatic way. J'ajouterais que les Britanniques ou les, les Américains ne doivent pas trop se réjouir de cette domination de la langue anglaise au sein du Parlement européen ou des institutions communautaires. Parce que l'anglais qu'on parle ici est un anglais qui est à peine compréhensible pour un native English speaker. Pourquoi Parce que c'est du globish que l'on parle ici. Très souvent, moi j'adore à Bruxelles, lorsque l'on parle anglais, moi-même je m'y amuse à parler anglais, on voit les Britanniques souffrir horriblement car leur, leur langue en réalité est violée tous les jours.